Back Pain Podcast, episode 95, how to get a good night's sleep with Tracy Hannigan. Let's go. Welcome to the Back Pain Podcast with Rob and Dave, the only show geared specifically to help educate you about your back pain. We talk to the experts to bust the myths, break down the science, and give you all the top tips for living pain-free. So, if you're driving to work, tidy in the house, or even laid up at home in pain, we have something for everyone. Hello listeners, and welcome back to the Back Pain Podcast. My name is Dave Elliott, and today we are talking all about sleep, or more specifically, how to get a good night's sleep. Now, this episode was first conceptualized because we kept getting asked about sleeping positions for people with back pain. Because that's what we do, right? Which has, as we've covered in previous episodes, rather an overly simplistic answer. Whichever position causes you the least pain, go for it. However, as we talked back and forth with these listeners, we found that it wasn't just getting to sleep without pain that they had trouble with. In fact, they were even experiencing difficulty getting back to sleep after the pain had gone. Because although they didn't have any specific physical difficulties left, they had experienced such disturbed and broken sleep patterns for so long, they seemed to have stopped their natural ability to get a good night's sleep. Or even in some cases, created a pattern of insomnia. So, we wanted to delve deeper into this, into more than just pain and how to get out of it, but into the practice of getting a good night's sleep. So first, we had to figure out what was good sleep. I mean, does sleep hygiene even matter? Can I ever get back to those hours of sleep that I've lost? This is where Tracy Hannigan came in. Now, Tracy is a qualified sleep therapist for adults with insomnia. As one of the very few therapists in the UK recognized by the Society for Behavioral Sleep Medicine, Tracy supports people using evidence-based approaches for people uh, for helping people banish sleep anxiety, for improving their sleep quality, and for getting back to living the lives they want and deserve. I mean, this is the person who you want to hear from. So in this episode, Tracy and I talk about sleep hygiene, sleep debt, routines and top tips. And perhaps most importantly, Tracy dispels some of the misconceptions that she hears on a regular basis. Tracy was absolutely fantastic to listen to and such a reassuring voice of reason for something that can be distressing and incredibly wearing for the sufferer. I genuinely loved making this episode and I took a ton away with me. I'm sure you will too. So if you're struggling to get to sleep or if you're in a, a negative sleep pattern that you can't seem to get out of, this is going to be a great listen for you. But look, that's enough of me. Let's listen to the expert, Tracy Hannigan, how to get a good night's sleep. Let's go. Okay then, Tracy, let's go first things first. What makes a good night's sleep? What is a good night's sleep? It is actually so simple. Um, people like to overcomplicate it and think about it an awful lot, especially since we have now trackers and things where we can put a lot of time and energy into following what we do at night. But really a good night's sleep is the sleep that you get that makes you feel good during the day and allows you to do the things that you need to do. Typically that will look like whatever sleep gives you the ability to fall asleep in 10, 15 minutes, sometimes 20 minutes. 
wake a couple of times in the night and then fall back to sleep and wake up refreshed in the morning. It is really that simple. Is that all I'm looking for? Yes. I feel so silly now. Okay, so so it is individual and there's not a, a one prescribed for everyone cookie cutter. It's, it's dependent on you? Absolutely. There's a, this myth that everybody needs eight hours of sleep and mm. that really does a disservice to those who need more sleep or those who actually need less sleep. It, um, it can give people the sense that there's something wrong with them and they start searching to get more sleep and that can actually contribute to the development of longer term sleeping problems. Wow. Okay. So uh, we need to be mindful. This is not a one size fits all. Listen to the rest of this podcast. The good stuff follows. Absolutely. <laughs> well, um, what we're going to talk about now is the, the tenants of a good night's sleep. So what are the pillars, the, the makeup points of what is that good night's sleep? Hmm. So in general, the things that will bring somebody a good night's sleep is having a comfortable environment. And you can look anywhere online and find a list of sleep hygiene tips. These are not sort of slavish rules that people need to, to follow, but they can be for good sleepers, um, ways to help optimize winding down to, to have a good night's sleep, um, not being overly mentally stimulated and not going to bed thinking that it's going to be daytime outside. Um, so that's sort of a psychological and biological kind of wind down that helps allow you to fall asleep and building up enough sleep drive by having a long enough day where you're physically active during the day gives you enough sleep quality to make the sleep that you are getting refreshing and restorative, which has a direct impact on how you feel during the, during the following days. So that's really, really important. And then kind of touching back on what we just mentioned, there is no sort of set number of hours that everybody needs to get in order to achieve a good night's sleep. It really is the amount of sleep that you need to kind of meet those criteria of falling asleep relatively quickly, but not too quickly, because that can be a problem as well. And um, waking a couple of times in the night, which sometimes people really worry about, which is not, and it's not a problem. And being able to do what you need to do during the day, both physically and mentally. So not having a lot of brain fog, having enough physical energy, and having the ability to concentrate um, and enjoy what you have going on in your life. That's, that is really the, the foundation of building enough sleep drive and quality sleep to give you what you need to do during the day. So these people that we hear, especially um, it tends to be a, a high-functioning CEO or a movie star, they often say, um, <laughs> I think Arnold Schwarzenegger said, if you need more than six hours sleep, just sleep faster. Um, they, they're, they're not superhuman. They really do work on six hours sleep. They're not just saying that. Some of them may. Yes, some of it might be um, a little bit of um, editorialization, but there are some people who do reasonably well on small amounts of sleep compared to someone like myself who needs nine to feel good during the day. Um, there are people <laughs> who do fine on six, six and a half. So that's allowed having that, that smaller. And I suppose it's, when we're saying about um, little or more sleep, is there a point of diminishing returns? Is there a point where... Um, if you are someone who get who, let's say yourself, who, who does really well on nine hours, if you try and push that then, is there a, a return? Is there a, a negative effect? There, there is not a return to attempting to get more sleep than you actually need. And this is really important when we talk about why sometimes people will have a short-term sleeping difficulty, like you know, some kind of crisis in life or a really exciting time. 
uh, it's normal to have a, a, a blip in sleep. You're able to generate a certain amount of sleep at a certain point in your life. Um, when things are going on, that amount is smaller. When things are fine for me, that out, that is nine hours. If I try to get more sleep by doing things such as going to bed early, sleeping in late, what I'm actually doing is I'm expanding the, the window that I give myself to sleep, which is actually damaging to sleep. So if you've ever made a, a pizza um, and you've made it from scratch and you rolled out the dough instead of just buying it in the freezer section, what happens if you have a seven hour or eight hour blob of pizza dough and you try to roll it out into a 10 inch, a 10 hour pizza plate to put into the oven? It becomes thin and it becomes holy. And they actually can, they can induce insomnia in healthy people who are getting their eight-ish hours of sleep, who have no sleeping difficulty by doing those specific sorts of things, by spending more time in bed, trying to catch extra sleep actually can be really damaging to our ability to develop sleep drive, which helps us fall asleep and stay asleep, um, and tends to introduce things like um, spending more time in bed awake, which disrupts our biological and psychological kind of subconscious association with bed as a place of sleep. Um, and all of that, obviously, in that kind of context is fueled by anxiety. Like if I'm somebody who gets seven hours, but I think I need eight, I'm, mm. If I get anxious about that, it's very difficult to sleep when you feel that kind of anxiety. And our brain's not very good at differentiating what's worth being anxious about. Um, if we were better at that, there would be a lot less anxiety in the world, but we're not very good at that. Absolutely. So if we start to worry about it, our arousal, um, our, uh, our physiological and psychological arousal is, is raised. That's a 24-7 phenomenon. Um, and that will interfere with our ability to generate sleep at night. So both the, the psychological side and the biological side become a problem when people start striving to get more sleep than they actually can currently generate. doesn't mean that somebody's getting enough at that time, but those mm. things feed into developing more sleeping trouble. Okay. Um, I just need to pick up on a, a point you made earlier there. You mentioned sleep hygiene. Tracy, now, mm -hmm. uh, would you be able to just explain sort of the umbrella of what that term means, just in case anyone listening hasn't heard of that before? Yeah, it is a weird term, isn't it? Mm. Um, but if you think about it as cleaning up things to get ready for sleep, <laughs> okay. I think it kind of might, might, be, might be the association, but it is, it is an unusual term if people haven't heard of it before. But if you, if you say go online and you look at how do I get a good night's sleep, these are the kinds of things that you will tend to find and they, call, they fall into the category of kind of sleep hygiene and they are good for people who are sleeping well. They're not so good for people who aren't sleeping well, but they're things like um, avoiding excess stimulation by having your windows open and facing the street at night. So having a dark room, having a room that's a little bit cooler, having uh, comfortable sheets and a comfortable bed, avoiding too much mental stimulation, like scrolling or reading the news right before you go to sleep and seeing things that are upsetting, um, having stimulating conversations or working straight up until bedtime where your brain is just going, 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 and you haven't given yourself time to kind of wind down. All of these things fall into kind of the, the, that umbrella category of, of sleep hygiene. They tend to be presented as tips and tricks for curing insomnia, but unfortunately sleep hygiene and sleep hygiene education isn't enough to help people who have longer term sleeping troubles, but they are great for helping people who just want to get a little bit better quality sleep than they might already be getting, particularly like the sleep procrastinators. That is a big <laughs> thing, I think, especially since people have been working from home and they just stay up late and they keep working and they keep working and they keep working. 
um, being mindful of those things can help people get off to sleep a little bit better. Okay. Um, well, that's brought us quite nicely to our next section, which is essentially the, the mistakes that people might be making. So we've had some great tips there for, well, like I said, I've almost fell into the trap there, some tips. That's some great routine, some sleep hygiene, or at least the start of it. What about some mistakes that we might be making other than uh, making other than working late, creeping that, that bedtime later and later as the days goes on? Um, some of the biggest mistakes, I think, come about from uh, worrying too much about getting a specific amount of sleep. And I have to say, I think that the messaging around sleep doesn't help this. Um, people will read things, these little these little sound bites or these little clickbait articles that say, if you don't get eight hours, these terrible things are going to happen to you. So particularly if you're already an anxious person, you start mm. worrying about it and understanding that two or three weeks of sleepless, sleepless nights and rough sleep around a period of either excitement or, or negative stress is completely normal. And overindulging that and worrying about it is, is the first mistake because and people are just not recognizing that that's a normal thing. Mm. Um, and then what happens is you would, if you asked a room of 50 people, you know, what, what would you do if you didn't get a good night's sleep the night before they would probably say, well, I'll be tired and I will go to bed early and I'll try to get some extra sleep. Mm. And this generates this, um, this pattern where people will go to bed and if they're not sleeping well, and they have anxiety around sleep, it's going to be difficult to fall asleep. So they'll be laying there awake in bed. And this wakefulness association with bed really gets in the way of the years and years and years of building up a relationship that says the bed is for, for sleeping. Um, and this happens slowly and insidiously and sneakily um, rather than something overnight. And people don't realize that that is, that is what's happening. And it happens on the other end as well. Um, say somebody's had difficulty sleeping and they, they are asleep and they decide to sleep for 14 or 16 hours. They managed to get, sleep, you know, they, they managed to have a night like that mm -hmm. in the long, it might feel good in the short term, but in the long term, that's actually uh, disrupting subsequent nights ability to generate sleep. So it's sort of a, it might feel really good, but it's a poor investment in the long term. If you're trying to make your sleep better and more consistent, I think. Um, the other thing, other things that people do really are uh, around not being conscious of the impact of stimulating activities. Um, and I'm, I have to say, I don't have insomnia anymore. I have had insomnia in the past, but okay. I'm, I'm not a saint when it comes to this sort of thing. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm much better than I used to be, but when there are things going on that I'm very interested in, it is hard for me to kind of stop the doom scrolling. Mm -hmm. And I know that it does affect my, my sleep sometimes. I think the, the difference is that I don't panic about not sleeping well. And I have to admonish myself that I was silly for sitting up and watching the news. Right. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. I wasn't, Sounds familiar. wasn't help, was not helping myself. Um, and I think particularly when there's a lot going on in the world, um, certainly in the last few years that have been for a lot of people um, and being in a different context, like not having a place to go out to work and working from home. And just, again, not having good boundaries around, this is work life. And then this is time for me and time for myself and time for the things that I enjoy outside of, of my work. Even if you love your work, there has to be more than that because that tends to be very mentally stimulating. Whether mm. you're thinking directly about your work or how to bring more work in or anything like that, that tends to kind of fuel this 
this arousal that will make it difficult to kind of get in the way of, of sleep. Um, and people who do work long hours also tend to eat right before they go to bed. Um, and that can actually create difficulties for people too. Um, indigestion is, is not, uh, not a pleasant experience. So if you wrap up a little bit of indigestion with a little bit of work stress, um, that can definitely interfere, interfere with sleep. And, and overeating and under-exercising interferes with sleep in a different way and can make people more prone to developing obstructive sleep apnea, um, increased body mass index, um, can put people at risk for other kinds of sleeping troubles aside from insomnia. And those are actually the, 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 the sleeping difficulties that are more associated with, with negative outcomes in the long run than insomnia itself. That's where I think some of the messaging around sleep is really tricky because a lot of people say, say eight hours is that magic number. Mm. Um, there are lots of reasons why people don't get eight hours. It could be insomnia. It could be they have sleep apnea. It could be that they're working three jobs. It could be that they are a refugee in a refugee camp. It could, there are lots of reasons, but when they do these big epidemiological studies, those nuances don't get picked out and they get digested into a headline that says these terrible things are going to happen to you unless you fix all the mistakes that you're making in your sleep or you don't get good enough sleep hygiene. I have to say most clients who, who come to me because a lot of my clients come through the internet, they're very well versed. They have better sleep hygiene than I do. <laughs> and so those things, those things alone are not going to sort out people's insomnia for sure. Um, so I think um, over, overly focusing on, on sleep hygiene in the sense that people virtually create a mental spreadsheet of the things that they need to do. It makes, it puts too much too much power into the hands of people having difficult, uh, too much power into this, into the sleeplessness. If that, yes. if that makes sense. Um, and as a result, when people are not sleeping well, another really common mistake is that they stop doing things. They, they stop going socializing with their friends. They aren't as physically active. And if you imagine life as a frame and you have all these aspects of your life, the good ones, the tedious ones, like chores, all that stuff's filling that frame. The more you remove that stuff, because you're focusing on sleep, the more the sleep issue kind of fills the frame. And that fuels the anxiety around sleep it becomes a really vicious circle. So I think um, a, a common mistake is kind of narrowing life because it isn't exactly the way that we want it. And we don't feel 100% and we shouldn't allow that to prevent us from enjoying what we can enjoy on a given day. It's really important to, to keep those good things that we care about in our life. Um, yes. And to take our attention off of any sleeping difficulty that we might have. I love that. Keep the good things in the frame. Um, mm -hmm. Especially in a year where, <clears throat> I mean, well, the last two years, uh, for anyone listening later on down the line, this is 2022, we're speaking this now. Um, we've had two years of, of complete and utter change through the world, in our personal lives, in our home lives. Things like routine have just been blown out of the water let alone a, a generalized um, a global level of anxiety. Um, so then no wonder, you know, sleep routine for many has then been blown out just the same. But it, it's funny how, how often humans, we, we agonize, we, we concentrate so much on the cure, we end up causing ourselves more of a, uh, more of a harm, more of a long-term um, uh, derangement, if you like, um, by, by being so focal, so intent on trying to cure ourselves. And we actually end up going the other way, creating anxiety and, and creating problems. 
I think that in life, we, we learn the lesson, uh, rightly or wrongly, that the harder you work on something, the more you know something, um, the more energy you put into something, the more you can in some way control your environment mm. or control your experience, the, the more likely you are to have an outcome that you want. And there's a, there's a lot of cultural um, unease around sitting with discomfort that drives all of, all of this, right? We don't, we don't like it when things aren't the way we want them. And that's not to say that those feelings are, are not valid and they're, they're, they shouldn't be there. How, what do we choose to feed <laughs> becomes the question. Yes. Do we choose to feed and fuel that anxiety and that lack of um, uh, acceptance and appreciation for, for what we do have and instead focus on the thing that you're right, you know, the, the, we take the toolbox approach and I use that word all the time and I, I feel very uncomfortable about it, right? I want things to seem simple because actually in reality they are, but the toolbox concept is also a little bit risky because it makes it look like, you know, if you have a, a nail there, what do you need? You need a hammer. And it's, it's not like that. <laughs> so it's not quite as simple as, you know, these seven top tricks and you'll fall asleep with no problems ever again. It's People actually a, a combination. Time and I would be a squillionaire um, and <laughs> then nobody would have insomnia. You know, it would have the, the, the solution would have been found a long time ago and there would be a magic potion. And you mm. go into certain uh, groups um, on different platforms on the internet and people are desperate for those simple answers. And they will often choose seeking those really simple things that have no evidence for them and, and don't work. Or they appear even more complicated. They, they appear to work for a, few, for a few nights and then they quote unquote stop working. The mm. reason those things appear to work short term is that we stop worrying about our sleep our arousal comes down because we're convinced this thing that we're doing or this, this schedule that we've set or our, the, the pill that we're taking or the supplement we're taking is going to take care of the problem. Our arousal comes down and then we can sleep because we've got lots of sleep drive built up because we've not been sleeping very well. Yes. And then yes. something, something happens. We go, Ooh, I've been sleeping really well. And what does that do? That switches that arousal on. So it's looking, is it, is it okay? Is it really okay? Um, is the bear coming into the cave again? How do I keep the bear from coming into the cave again? Then all of a sudden people aren't sleeping well again and the cycle repeats and they go on the hunt for the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. And I see people do this for years and years and years. It's, uh, it's very unfortunate um, for mm. as wonderful as the internet can be <laughs> and all the <laughs> gifts it's brought us, it can also create a lot of trouble. Absolutely. Got, uh, Dr. Google is a, a dangerous one. Yes. Yeah. It is in lots of settings. <laughs> now, yes. Now, Tracy, although we know that the, um, the application of this sleep hygiene routines and tips and tricks and hacks, that's not a die hard, you know, hard and fast cure. What can we do to try and allow ourselves, um, into the best environment possible? What are the, the basic things we can do to at least start us on a journey to some decent sleep hygiene? Yeah, I think having a relaxed attitude toward the basics of, of sleep hygiene is, is important. And what I mean mm. by that is it is helpful for reasonable sleepers to avoid having lots of stimulation come into the bedroom from outside. And usually that means things like pulling the blinds and not letting a lot of light in. That's a really good place to start. Um, it goes, it becomes more problematic if people are duct taping the edges of their blinds to prevent all light from coming in, right? That kind of, um, yeah. that takes, that takes it into the feeding the anxiety end of things, but having, having a dark room, 
um, can be really helpful. Having a, a it sounds a bit um, fluffy maybe, but having a, a bedroom space that you actually really like. So for mm. a lot of people, an uncluttered room and a comfortable bed with sheets they like, it sounds so simple. But if you walk into your bedroom and all you see is the piles of laundry you haven't ironed yet and, and all the other stuff that you, you have to do, it, it just immediately our, our safety radar picks up versus like, are there any predators behind that pile of laundry? It just immediately sets our, our brain up for not relaxing. So having a really comfortable environment, which for many people will be a little bit of that darkness, but temperature is quite important too. Um, our body, when we sleep, um, begins to have a dip, a dip in temperature because we generate a lot of heat from our movement and our, our, our muscle movement, muscle activation. Mm -hmm. And when we sleep and we're not moving, our body begins to cool and we can aid that process by having a room that uh, is not overly warm. And so sometimes that requires people to adjust bedding. Sometimes that means sleeping in different sleeping clothes or none at all. Uh, it could be sleeping with the window open if it's safe to do that. Um, for women um, kind of my age, that might mean cooling devices. Um, if you are kind of a menopausal age mm -hmm. um, where you're dealing with additional complications um, that can apply sometimes to people with thyroid disorders as well. Anything to kind of keep, to keep yourself as cool as possible without kind of going over the edge. And obviously it's possible to be uncomfortably cold. Anybody who's camped uh, without a sleeping bag that's adequate for the temperature would know you don't get a good night's sleep if you're too cold. Yes, yes. There's that, finding that happy medium um, is, is important. So we're looking so, to aid that cool down. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And one of the reasons, and I don't know if there's any evidence behind this, um, but theoretically, the plausibility is there that if you take a warm bath an hour, hour and a half before you go to bed, you're kind of creating an artificial cool down scenario that could potentially be part of the one in, one in many, 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 many cues that we have for being in a sleepy state. Um, so your, your grandma's recommendation to take a bath um, before bed uh, is not necessarily a bad one. Uh, I wouldn't have it too hot and I wouldn't do it right in front of bed. But also, if you like doing that kind of thing, it's a self-care moment. It's relaxing if you obviously enjoy it. I think that that's really important. Shouldn't do anything to try to to help yourself sleep better if you hate doing it. <laughs> it's just not going to oh, be okay, helpful. Yes. <laughs> yeah, do you see what I mean? Mm. <laughs> so some people will um, will believe that there's like, for me, there's no prohibition on uh, like watching a TV show that you like to watch before you go to bed. Now, big giant screen with blaring blue light three inches from your face or mm. on your phone is a, is a different different thing. But if you're sitting comfortably in the living room and the TV's on the other side, I don't particularly see a problem with that if it's something that you enjoy doing. I'd rather have people um, doing something that, that they enjoy like that, that is relaxing and restful than saying, I need to read this um, uh, year 13 calculus book because it's boring and it will help me put, help me go to sleep. <laughs> see what I mean? <clears throat> I don't suggest doing things like that. So darkness, um, a, a cooler temperature, having a, a, a sleeping space that's relaxing and restful and having a good wind down. I think those are the, those are the kind of the key, the key ingredients for optimizing sleep. Mm. I love it.
I love all of those. Um, and most importantly, I think the fact that if you don't enjoy doing it or if it doesn't fit for you, then it doesn't fit for you. You can bin it. You don't have to force yourself into that hot bath or leave the windows open, even though you hate it. Um, yeah, stop doing these things that are um, not for you just because you read them on an internet article. Yeah, absolutely. Whereas they, if you're doing that, you're actually you're creating what we call a sleep effort. And what what fuels a sleep effort? It is this doing something that feels unnatural in order to try to generate sleep because you're fearful of not getting a good night's sleep. It becomes what we would call like a safety behavior. You're doing mm. something that we think we need to do that makes us feel like we're doing the right thing in the, in the short term. But it really, it's not addressing the fact that we shouldn't be afraid to not have a great night's sleep which a lot of people really rail against it when I say that, but that, is, that is, that is fundamental. It's unpleasant, but it's not something to fear. And that's the difference. That's so uh, not adding really to that anxiety in that, that bucket load of um, uh, excess stress already. Oh, I like that. The, the ability to be comfortable thinking I'm not going to have a great night's sleep tonight. Yeah. And you know, there in behavioral sleep medicine, there are lots and lots of different kinds of behavioral approaches and cognitive tools. But really, if somebody can have an acceptance of not having a good night's sleep, um, that in and of itself avoids all of these other problems because the anxiety about not sleeping is not there because they have an acceptance of not sleeping well. And so then mm -hmm. they don't start doing the behaviors that get in the way of the biological side of sleep. It's, uh, it is like When you, so this is just an analogy a lot of people can yeah. kind of relate to. If you're having like, if you have a difficult relationship, right? When you get to the point where you just have this peaceful understanding that yes, it's going to be really difficult to split up with this person, but it's the right thing to do. Mm. That acceptance is so freeing. And it doesn't mean that it doesn't feel, it doesn't mean, oh, it feels pleasant or, oh, I like doing this or this is what I want, but it, it is a liberating um, kind of sense of, of commitment and acceptance to whatever is happening in the moment. And really that is so important for sleep. Um, and we're not good at it. We are culturally, <laughs> we're strivers, strivers, doers, organizers, planners, controllers. Mm. Um, and unfortunately with sleep, that tends to, tends to backfire. And the more we struggle to try to uh, achieve something that's not actually happening in the moment, the, that really that is really the difference between like the pain of of experiencing something we don't like right that's that's a legit feeling it's it's not a, something to dismiss mm. but it that's different from the suffering that comes from trying and trying and trying and trying and uh, trying to change something that or control something that actually we can't control if you ask a good sleeper how they control their sleep. They won't have any idea what you really mean unless you explain it. Um, it won't make any sense because when we sleep well, we, we aren't controlling our sleep. We're mm. not thinking about it. That really so that, is fundamentally it. We, we, if good sleepers don't think about their sleep. They get sleepy, they go to sleep. I, I suppose paradoxically, bad sleepers, sleep. I bet bad sleepers will continue every inch of their sleep routine. Uh, like you said, have uh, phenomenally uh, to the millimeter set routines and all the rest probably so much that they're keeping themselves awake. Absolutely. Um, coming home early because they have a three hour routine that they have to engage in wow. and it becomes a fear of not doing the routine that actually creates the sleeping problem to say, well, I came home two hours and I missed the first hour of my routine. 
And that's why I didn't sleep well. Actually, it's probably more likely that the fear of not doing your routine contributed to you not sleeping well, rather than you had the chamomile tea two hours before bed instead of three hours before bed. <laughs> you see what I mean? People literally yeah. get this kind of ritualized about these things that they believe are going to help them because they feel so desperate to get good sleep. Yes. Yeah. And sleep is such an important factor of our well-being and our um, uh, sort of daily enjoyment. You can see how quite quickly, well, and you said that um, you had insomnia yourself, Tracy. Um, mm-hmm. I can imagine how quickly this becomes uh, you know, the, the main thing you think about during the, your waking hours. Yeah. And, and I completely empathize and understand with the, um, the, the idea that not thinking about your sleep sounds pretty out there <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, <laughs> to, to yes. people who aren't, who, who aren't sleeping well. But if you mm-hmm. ask anybody who has gone through insomnia and has come out the other side and has not had a recurrence, it really has come down to, um, accepting that sometimes they're not going to sleep well and not worrying about it and not doing things that kind of fuel the fire. The first time I had insomnia was after the death of my husband Mm -hmm. um, in my early twenties. And yeah, very natural time to have a a terrible bout of of not sleeping, but it went on much longer than the, uh, than that kind of immediate bereavement period. So it developed its own life. And that's what the anxiety about sleep gives it its own life. Yes. And my second, I had at the time, I had no idea how I got through it and started sleeping well until I went through my second episode of insomnia. And now I look back on my first one and I see exactly how I came through it. And I just didn't know it at the time. And how I got through it was I started re-engaging in life instead of holding up, thinking about my sleep all the time. Yes. I mean, it was like, it was not fancy. I, at that point, I didn't know anything about CPTI. I uh, didn't know about any of these, um, these proven kind of approaches. I just started re-engaging in life instead of hiding out because I wasn't sleeping well. And that really? made all the difference that first time around. Yeah. Amazing. It, it, amazing that you can then look back on that first time and think, oh, actually I did that sort of almost without realizing, or, well, uh, without purposely doing it perhaps. Yes. Yeah. It was not conscious at all. It wasn't conscious at all. Mm. Well, we, we talked about uh, uh, so far a few things that are sort of touted as the, the norm or, or these possible misconceptions that people take away from articles or the dreaded Dr. Google. Um, are there any other favorite kind of myths or misconceptions that, that people bring to you or you hear a lot that you'd like to dispel en masse right now? <laughs> um, well, we talked about the eight-hour myth and we talked mm. a little bit about... Um, this, this idea that you should try to catch up on your sleep. Um, no, it's like sleep help. debt. It's not like a, it's, it's not, you know, a simple, I had two hours less last night. I need two hours more tonight. Yeah. It, it really is not that linear. And there's, there's sort of lots of mixed, mixed research on sleep debt and how much you can actually make up and what does that actually mean? Um, sleep is a tricky thing to study anyway. Um, the other one was that we've already talked about is that sleep hygiene will fix poor sleep. Now it's, uh, um, it's, Working on sleep hygiene types of things is great for helping optimize good sleep. Mm. And it is part of, um, I've mentioned a couple of times, CBTI, Cognitive Behavioral Therapy for Insomnia, which is a set of behavioral sleep medicine techniques. And and sleep hygiene is in there, but it's not the primary, it's not the primary thing. It's sort of like icing on the cake. Um, The other one that, um, that I see a lot is that people believe that um, monitoring. So like with your, uh, 
your wearable or your app or all of these other things that knowing a lot about your sleep will help you figure out how to fix it. Um, Mm. And I have to say that my number one piece of advice to anybody who's having difficulty sleeping is to ditch the trackers and the apps and to stop looking at them. Okay. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Because they are, they're, they're not accurate. Um, And although they are getting better, they are notoriously inaccurate when it comes to things like sleep staging. Um, And Mm. people get very interested in like how many percent of of the night they spend in what, uh, what stage of sleep. And unfortunately, because all of these devices are, they're proprietary and they use proprietary formulas and they won't let researchers really study how accurate they are compared to polysomnography. It's like, they don't seem to be that accurate, but we actually don't, we don't know. Um, the bottom line is knowing it doesn't help. <laughs> um, <laughs> so if I look at, if I wake up at three o'clock in the morning and I, I do, I do wear a wearable, but I just don't wear it for sleep. And I look at my, my wearable and it doesn't do me any good to know that I've been awake for 47 minutes at uh, two twelve in the morning. Yeah. Right. There's nothing I can, there's nothing that knowledge gives me except a place to hang anxiety about, oh my gosh, I'm awake. Especially if it, if I have a big emotional response to it. Um, Mm. We do go through cycles of deeper and lighter sleep. And although there isn't a lot of, uh, um, a lot of certainty about this, they think that it is sort of a safety mechanism. You know, we come up into lighter sleep, you're kind of scanning for safety. We don't even realize we do do it many, many times a night. And so that's why it's normal to wake up a couple of times in the night, realize that you're awake and then go back to sleep. If we hook one of those wake-ups on something really, if we provoke a lot of anxiety in ourselves about that wake-up, that's telling our safety radar, wow, 2.12 in the morning, I need to make sure that I check a little bit harder at 2.12 in the morning or the third cycle in of the night at that point in my sleep because something happened and she was scared and really upset. So there must be a threat there that happened. So we have to be especially alert to these threats that might be happening. This is where our brain is just not that good at discerning what's real as a threat and deserves Mm -hmm. that kind of response. So we can actually train ourselves to wake up in the night by doing things like clock watching. So I, I, I encourage people to not do that um, because it, it doesn't give you anything useful. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just gives you an opportunity to kind of unfortunately mess with your sleep a little bit more. And usually people who are sleeping well aren't that worried about it. They might look at their watch and say, well, whatever, I'm, this is when I'm awake. But if people are anxious about it, they'll start seeing what they can do to reduce the number of minutes that they are awake at night, sometimes to the point where they worry about any wake-ups and the couple of wake-ups at night are completely normal, especially as you get a little bit older, they really aren't anything to worry about. So clock watching kills sleep, ditch the trackers. I like that. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Um, Anything else on on that um, uh, sort of, you know, misconception side of things? Um, in terms of misconceptions, some people are, are questioning whether or not they can get better sleep by certain sleeping in certain positions. Mm. Um, I've had this, this raised a couple of, a couple of times and really positioning is whatever is comfortable for you is going to aid your sleep the most, um, unless you have obstructive sleep apnea in which sleeping on your back is going to be less, um, you're going to have a less good quality sleep. Um, and 
even people who don't have obstructive sleep apnea or they have a partner who snores, we know that we snore more. We're more likely to snore if we are laying on our back. Um, so if, if a person is, is a snorer, for one, especially if they're a loud snorer, should get screened for obstructive sleep apnea because there are some long-term health consequences to having OSA, untreated OSA, and treating it properly is really important. And often they will recommend that you don't sleep on your back if you snore. So okay. um, that's not necessarily insomnia related, but um, can help some people in some circumstances, particularly if they're at risk of OSA anyway. Um, and again, um, because of the hormonal changes that affect perimenopausal and menopausal women, um, you know, we can often will complain about our wrinkles, right? But all of our connective tissues are affected by hormonal changes, and that will include the tissues of the throat. We are more likely to also develop OSA at that time of, of our life. So it might be that um, a menopausal woman might get a little bit better sleep if she's not sleeping on her back. But that's just my feeling about it. Don't know what the research has to say about it. <laughs> well, that's a really interesting one for um, our listeners as well. Obviously, we are the Back Pain Podcast. Um, uh, people are often asking us about, you know, the, the, the prime position to sleep in. And there's become a, a rather um, <clears throat> um, uh, questionable movement on social medias recently of, you know, the perfect sleep position. And this is how to sleep both for good quality sleep and for good spinal health. Um, mm. most of which is atrocious, uh, clickbaity yes. rubbish, unfortunately. And so yes. uh, we've had so many people say, you know, well, I, I have to sleep on my back to get good sleep, but it hurts when I sleep on my back. And we said, well, you're not going to get good sleep if you're in pain all night. You know, we're, we're adding to Absolutely. that stress response. Um, so that's yes. really good to hear you agree with that, Tracy. Otherwise, we would have had to have gone back and deleted a few episodes <laughs> of our, our prior <laughs> um, uh, library. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> it, I mean, it's it's there is not going to be one position that is comfortable for everybody either. Mm. And it depends in part on your anatomy, how wide your hips are, how pointy your shoulders are, how firm your mattress is, all of those sorts of things are going to feed into what's comfortable and what's not comfortable. And the idea that you, uh, that you have to have this perfectly straight spine while you sleep as well. Oh, you can't, that's a tricky one to question. Um, mm. Yeah. I'm going to leave that one right there. Cause that could be a potential minefield for people too. <laughs> Ah, well, it could. I mean, uh, I'll leave it as spines are meant to bend. It's okay. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. yeah. They are. That's, if they weren't, they wouldn't. No, quite. That's why they're bending. Um, well, uh, really quickly. So you mentioned mattresses there, Tracy. Um, you know, yeah. a supported mattress. Again, this is something which is um, the mattress industry spend millions, probably tens and, and hundreds of millions on, on advertising the perfect night's sleep. That, that's something which can often be quite expensive to, to invest in. Um, is there any recommendations for somebody who's not about to go out and buy a brand new mattress? Is there anything that you would or even wouldn't buy um, mm. as, uh, as someone who isn't experiencing great sleep? Right. This, uh, this whole area is really fascinating because the quote unquote studies that got, get done do tend to be done by the manufacturers of, How odd. Yes. of mattresses who want to... Um, obviously uh, play the benefits up of the product that they've developed. And it doesn't necessarily mean that these are, these are bad products, but sleep is notoriously difficult to study. And you could take a thousand people and put them on different mattresses and do, a, do overnight sleep studies. And their polysomnogram might say that they got great sleep, but subjectively they might say they have terrible sleep. These things don't line up. So it's really difficult to study these things in the first place. Mm. Um, so I'd be wary of the, of the marketing hype. 
the things that I would I would avoid when when purchasing a new mattress, and they are a decent mattress is an investment. Mm. I would avoid doing the um, the least expensive non pocket sprung coil mattress because you will feel those springs faster than you will know it, and they do tend to be um, children's mattresses. But okay. You can get um, mattresses that will fall into that category that are meant for a full size um, single or or double. They're not going to be comfortable for long, and it's a um, it's yeah, pinching a penny to save a pound is not worth doing in that particular circumstance. Um, and getting a good night's sleep on a mattress really depends on what is making somebody uncomfortable as well. Yes. Um, some people really love the feeling of a, of a foam mattress, but they're too hot, right? They can be notoriously warm for people. Um, some people prefer pocket sprung. Some people prefer a mattress out of a box that they can test for 90 days. Um, some people need something a little bit on the, on the firmer side, depending on the position that they, that they find comfortable to sleep in. Some yeah. people have to have something a little bit softer because they're side sleepers and they've got pointy bits. Um, so it, it, it varies really, really widely on what kind of mattress is going to give somebody a good night's sleep, but pretty much guaranteed something that is um, really super cheap as chips. And if it has coils, they aren't pocket sprung coils. I would just be wary, um, unfortunately, of, of um, spending my money that way if I had a choice at all. If I didn't have a choice and had to get a mattress like that, yeah. one of the first things I would go out and do is I would go out and get the, um, the thickest um, topper, uh, cotton or feather topper that I could possibly ah. get. Um, and I would make sure that the underside of the mattress, depending on how the frame is built, um, that all of the slats are intact. And mm -hmm. I just would not put a lot of hope in it lasting forever, but that might make it more comfortable in, in the short term. Um, yes. And people who have foam mattresses and thought that they would be a great idea and find them too hot can also benefit from getting some kind of topper that allows a little bit of extra air circulation between, between them and the mattress. Overheating is the kind of the most common problem with a, with a mattress like that. Um, mm. I like the feeling of it. Mine is a pocket sprung uh, with a, with a foam layer. And then I have uh, a cotton topper on top of that. For me, that's magic, but it might not suit everybody. For a bit of airflow. Um, well, as with all these things, Tracy, I think there, there's always that caveat, like you said, it might not suit everyone. Um, it, it needs a bit of experimentation sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. And especially it's a difficult and scary experiment when you're looking at a lot of money for a cash. mattress, yeah. right? <laughs> yes. Absolutely. You get cold, hard cash. And the, there are more and more mattress companies who are offering um, guarantees on their comfort guarantees on their mattresses. So you mm. can, um, you can order one of these mattresses and try it for 90 days. That is the best thing to do to know if a mattress really is going to suit you. I think long gone are the days where you go and you lay on the bed on the plastic in the showroom with a, a salesperson staring at you to see how you like the mattress, right? It, it, that's really difficult, you know? And then to get a really good idea, you also have to have your partner come and you have to spend time on the mattress together on the plastic in the showroom. Yeah. I mean, it's just not that, not that realistic, but with some of these guarantees that you can get nowadays, you can, uh, you know, sleep on it for 90 days. And if you don't like it, 
usually you can send it back. I would just say read the fine print because there are usually a lot of requirements that need to be met in order to be able to secure that guarantee. You want to make sure that you uh, um, <clears throat> you don't catch yourself out. Quite. Don't go tearing off all those plastic tags just yet. Yes. And you have to, often will have to have insurance um, that covers the mattress and various other things as well. Okay. Um, now for some real low hanging fruit here, Tracy, anyone who's researched sleep or how to sleep better online has probably been bombarded with adverts for trinkets and widgets. And you mentioned wearables earlier, um, uh, some cheap device from Amazon that's going to change their life. Um, has there been anything you've come across that you've thought, oh, crikey, that might actually work? Or is it all superfluous to need, should we say? That's a nice way of putting it. Yeah, if um, <laughs> very nice, polite way of putting it. <laughs> if, if somebody's a reasonable sleeper, but mm. is easily disturbed by noise, particularly if they're traveling or staying in hotels, things like um, um, noise blocking headphones can, can be a reasonable, reasonable thing to invest in. In. But if you're somebody who has insomnia, particularly, uh, you know, you had a, had an event happen and then you've just been sleeping terribly ever since, um, the noise isn't the thing creating the problem um, in the in the long term. Um, so I wouldn't necessarily plonk down a lot of cash for something that could be potentially expensive if it's not going to kind of give you a return um, in, in that sense. I see. Um, a lot of these things really are you, gimmick was a, a, a kind of a great word, you know, gadgets. I love a good gadget, right? Yeah. I, I'm, I love a good gadget. I've spent too much money on, on gadgets <laughs> and apps and software and all these other sorts of things. So they can be um, fun, entertaining and enjoyable. It really depends on the intent somebody kind of has behind them. Mm. Um, you'll, you'll also see about 40,000 different brands of blue light blocking glasses um, uh, patches that you can wear on your feet that infuse you with things that are supposed to help you with your sleep. Oh. I would say um, blue light blocking glasses. If you're getting exposure to blue light at night, mm. more of the issue is don't expose yourself to lots of screens right in front of your face that don't have a warming filter on them in the hour or so before you go to bed. Um, Again, that also falls into that. You have to be careful to not take it too, too far because the blue light is going to affect a little bit of your melatonin production, but that in and of itself is not going to be creating a long-term sleeping problem. So it really depends what camp somebody falls into and would not necessarily hurt if you kind of have a relaxed attitude towards sleep hygiene and you're sleeping, you're a reasonably good sleeper, but blue light blocking glasses alone aren't going to solve an insomnia problem. Mm. Um, so unfortunately... When you look at all the stuff that gets marketed, um, whether they are, um, again, patches, I've seen patches for people's feet. I've seen um, various acupressure things for people's wrists. Um, the supposedly really sciencey, um, amazing marketing copy on various blindfolds and headphones and all these other things are they're not what they're cracked up to be because they don't address the fundamental issue of what's creating somebody's poor sleep in the first place. And again, we are talking in that camp, they tend to be people who are purchasing these things fall into the camp of not sleeping well, generally, mm. um, or they're sleeping well and they've got extra cash and they're kind of just playing around, right? Yeah. How the other half live, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> 
But most of the time, these things are being bought by people who are desperate to try to improve their sleep. And unfortunately, because they just like a lot of the sleep hygiene stuff, they don't target the, the foundational problem. Um, they aren't going to generate a lot of benefit in the long run. So they can be a bit of a superfluous purchase mm -hmm. that accidentally feeds this idea that we can control our sleep by doing all these things that in it, that can, that is the problem with these things. Um, and that's, doesn't matter what the individual thing is, whether it's the, the magic eye patch or the acupressure thing, or the patches for your feet or the supplement, or it, you put these things into a lot of camps, doesn't matter what they are. They tend to become sleep efforts. And when they become sleep efforts, they can actually get in the way of people sleeping better because what happens if you go on holiday and you've forgotten your magic mask, Quite. if you think you need it to sleep, it becomes a problem. You're doomed. Doomed, Tracy. <laughs> um, I love that. So for any listeners who have been tuning in, holding on for that magic pill, that silver bullet, I'm afraid um, there isn't one. It, it takes time. And I suppose like so many things we've, um, uh, we, we've talked about on this show, it's the application of small changes you know, over time. I say on this show, in life. It's the, yes. uh, the small things done over time rep repetitively, um, which will create a change in the long run. Yeah. Things like waking up on time cons uh, consistently at, at mm. a certain time. If you're, if you're sleeping great, that's not so important. If you're not sleeping great, that could be really important to helping build sleep drive. Um, having a bit of a routine at night that your body associates with winding down and your mind associates with winding down. That, that's, that's not a bad thing. These are good habits to kind of to, to have in place. And, and you're absolutely right. It's not only the, the habit process, it, it's a, it's an emotional process of getting to that point for those who don't sleep well of, of not freaking out about it. Um, and that <laughs> yeah. is not easy to do. And, and it's, it's, and it's sometimes people feel a little bit defensive when I talk about this particular kind of this acceptance issue and the fact that, that this is a process because they feel like, well, somehow they created this problem themselves, but there's no blame attached to that. And, and if anything, that, that is a very powerful thing to recognize um, yes. because yeah. it, 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 just like sleep is inside of us. It's not outside of us. That, that power to, to move ahead with that knowledge is inside of us and not outside of us too. So it should be an empowering thing and not a scary guilt provoking thing. And it is a, it is a process and it's not always linear. Sometimes we go up and sometimes we come down you know, people will start um, th going through this and they start sleeping really well. And what happens? We get really excited that we're sleeping really well. And mm -hmm. why do we get really excited? We're sleeping well, because we're so relieved that we're not sleeping badly. Oops. And then the backslide happens. And so coming to that equanimity really is, it's a process of habits and working through that emotional stuff around sleep. Fantastic. Oh, I've absolutely loved today's talk, Tracy. Um, uh, this is brilliant. And look, we've got our soundbite, how to get better sleep. Don't freak out about it. I like it. <laughs> <laughs> I promise I wouldn't soundbite you, but that was too good. Yes. Um, Tracy, how can we... Clock watching kills sleep is a good one too. <laughs> oh, I did like that. Clock watching, uh, yeah, ditch the wearables. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I might have to get on a hat. Um, Tracy, <laughs> you, you've been absolutely fantastic to talk to. Where can people find out more about you? Um, I have a website. They can find me at tracythesleepcoach.co.uk 
Um, I have um, an online course that I run uh, through that platform. I also offer one-to-one uh, -one services and we'll be running some group coaching um, probably in the summer. Uh, people can find me on Instagram at Tracy the Sleep Coach. And on both of these platforms, I have not only information about myself and my services, but uh, information about cognitive behavioral therapy for insomnia, which is the evidence-based um, recommended approach for the treatment of chronic sleeping problems um, that are, are insomnia. And a lot of people don't know enough about these, these approaches um, simply because there are not enough providers. And so GPs don't tend to refer or they refer mm -hmm. and the waiting lists are really long, but there are aspects of CBTI that people can learn themselves and apply themselves. And so they can begin the learning process through uh, my website and Instagram as well. Um, and I do run a free Facebook group called Sound Sleep Strategies, which is based on the um, foundations of CBTI. Fantastic. We'll have all of the links for all of those um, websites and pages mentioned in the show notes. Do not go to Google, folks. Go to <laughs> Tracy, the uh, sleep coach. UK. Um, that's where you're going to find the perfect amount of information. Nothing weird. No wearables, no gimmicks, no gadgets. No gadgets. I mean, mm. no gadgets. Um, the thing I love about CBTI is that you reconnect with your natural ability to sleep, which is always inside of us. We don't lose that. We just kind of lose touch with it a little bit. We get in, get in the way of it a little bit. And that's a set of skills, mental and emotional and behavioral skills that you can use for the rest of your life. You don't have to be dependent on a supplement, uh, a perfect routine, uh, going to bed at a precise minute every night and waking up at a precise minute every morning. You can just go out, live your life and stop worrying about your sleep. And that is really fundamentally the way people get through difficult sleeping problems. Fantastic. Amazing. Um, Tracy, thank you so much. <clears throat> this thank has been the Back Pain me. Podcast. Hey, no worries. It's been an absolute pleasure. I've learned so much. That's why I love these things. <laughs> thank you very much. Everyone with Tracy, thank you so much today. Uh, for all of you listening, uh, do head over to our Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Rob is a consistent Twitter fiend and will reply to anything you ask him on Twitter. Day, night, midnight, doesn't matter. He's promised he will reply this week. Um, I will not. <laughs> Fantastic. Tracy, thank you so much for joining us. Over and out. Cool. That's fun. I like to do that, Tracy, when Rob's not on the show. I just try and get people to contact him at odd times. Right. Yes. I was just like, midnight, what are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Did we touch um, on all the things that, that, um, that you wanted to touch on? Yeah, that was Since fantastic. Since we're here, if there's anything you want to um, ask now that didn't fit in the flow, and then you can slip it in. That's. Hmm. I think... That to be honest, you, you covered everything. My, my main question was going to be about the sleep debt, but you covered that sort of straight off. You know, is there a catch-up time? But I mean, you covered that really in depth and really well. I liked it. Cool. Yeah, uh, I, I thought that was great. Were you happy with everything that you managed yeah, sort of managed to get everything in? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, know, I just know that sometimes I go away and I go, oh, I should have said that. And then sometimes oh, yeah. a person who is, who is speaking to me goes, oh, I wish I would have asked to that. So if that comes up, just we can hop on another quick call and you can just stick it in.
Thank you. Thank you very much. I love it. Um, but no, that, that was brilliant. I, and again, I really enjoyed it. And that's, that's my favorite thing about these. Um, and I will steal Hopefully all I of that info. too much. I could talk about this stuff all day long. <laughs> no, well, there's no such thing as rambling. This is why I love podcasts. The long form conversation allows, allows you to wiggle around the point a bit and sort of put in the anecdote. And it's not just one hard fact. You can try and, cause you know, some people will take the anecdote away. Some people take the fact away. Some people talk, take away the, the bit around, around that. Everyone's going to be able to digest something different from that conversation. Yeah. Yeah. I was glad you didn't ask me about Matthew Walker. I have to say, I was like, is he going to ask me? Matthew Walker. So. Come on, come on, address it. <laughs> he wrote, he wrote a book. Ah. And, um, I've been asked about him. Uh, it surprised me on a, on a podcast not too long ago. And I simply pointed listeners to a counterpoint to the book. He wrote why uh, we sleep. Um, yes. And it's been, it's, he's famous for it, but it has been slated. And so I find it really difficult to discuss his book without um, getting myself in trouble. Put it that yes. way. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, I oh, he didn't ask me. Thank God I got away with it. <laughs> um, no, oh, that would have been fun. Uh, uh, but that's where that's where the um I also feel like I haven't I haven't read the review and the critique of his book in or his book in a long time. <laughs> so it would be difficult hmm. for me to have a fluid critique conversation of it. Um but it's just, it's an interesting, it's an interesting read. The critique is fascinating. Well, just by typing in Matthew Walker sleep, I've got a, a lot of, um, an internet burn book here of, of anti, uh, <laughs> um, yeah, it's, uh, Matthew yeah. Guzzi. Uh, if you look up Guzzi, um, mm. why we sleep critique or something like that. Yeah. It's very good. It just goes really through and says he came to this conclusion because he left out that whole tail end of the graph and its data. Really? <laughs> unfortunately i mean that it's the kind of book that a lot of people read because they they look at his credentials mm -hmm. and he has a there's a lot of fear mongering in that book and so who reads it people who aren't sleeping well and it tends to feed that kind of anxiousness and so yeah i i i sometimes struggle to discuss his book <laughs> I think it's for us, you know, um, whilst it's quite fun over a bottle of wine, um, it, it's, we, we try not to sort of like, not even belittle, but we, we try not to, you know, hop on that negative train with anything. I mean, there's, there's so many elements of back pain where we'd love to do an episode on, you know, the, you the bullshit so of back pain. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, all of this, you, you know, and I know, um, people come into clinic and they are like, I was told this, that, and the other. I mean, e yeah. even if that was, even if it was what they were told, which is also the question, it's like, it, wow, yes. what a load of rubbish. <laughs> yeah. And you have to go, Oh, I you're, you went, bend to, over you went like there. that ever again, because my thing's going to pop out. I'm like, Oh my God. That's it. No wonder you're terrified to move, you know? <laughs> That's it. You know, and they can feel it popping out and you're like, oh, I can't feel it. But, uh, yeah. yeah. It's um, like, Oh my, I can't bend my low back when I bend over. So I do this. Boop. And I said, okay, <laughs> yes, there's, yeah. kitten, there's a kitten on the ground. This is the kitten, you know, I'm going to take my ball. He's on my kid. Pick, how would you pick up the kitten off the ground? And they crouch down to pick it up. I'm like, there, look, your back it just bent. What do you think? Oh, it, it didn't did. hurt. Ooh. It's Imagine like, that. 
that, that is literally that. you've described my my well my seven to seven um uh, daily yeah. it, it's just that okay well have you ever thought that you maybe you could go one month without being beaten up by a therapist like you know yeah <laughs> yeah yeah i think the way we communicate with patients is um so important it's just it's probably the mm. more most important piece of their encounter with us um I, I still practice as an osteopath as well so it is um yes. it is so important how we speak to people and what they take away is the as the message and too many times it seems they come away with you can't do this don't do this rather than actually look what you can do mm. you know <laughs> me me and rob are actually heading down to um uh well all three of the chiropractic universities and a couple of the physios as well um in fact we've contacted bso uh just not heard back from them um and one of our one of the talks that we're doing in the next couple of weeks is <clears throat> stop focusing on shiny object syndrome stop doing this course that course in your first year get good at communication that's what 100 yeah. of your patients deserve is adequate no fuck that better than adequate communica- yeah. communication abilities to be able to describe pain, not just as something that's going on, but properly understand pain um, and send your patient out of the room thinking, I'm not about to die next week unless I sign up to a plan or whatever it is, you know. Um, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think because in our, in our training, we spend the last two years kind of terrified of ticking off our tutors because we're not doing our techniques right. And so you come out and you go, oh, I got to learn more tech. The more techniques I have in my box, mm. the better a clinician I'm going to be. Um, and I have to say, you know, even in kind of like, you know, the, the online space and my, kind of my other entrepreneurial hat of like developing the courses and doing all this sort of stuff, the shiny object syndrome is like real. It is, I jumped right into it. I have done, it's now it's like, okay, now I need to do the stuff, not just learn about stuff. I still have yeah. copywriting courses sitting, gathering dust somewhere <laughs> in my Google drive. Right. Um, <clears throat> it's sure, enticing uh, to think that we need to do more and get more specific and get more this and get more that one. Really, if we are doing clinical work, the communication piece, that's where we need to focus. Yeah, that's what makes them feel better, unfortunately, which is either wonderful as a manual therapist or it's a horrendous existential dread of shit, my job's not <laughs> what I thought it was. I find it very freeing. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think there's, uh, a, there's a lot of that. <laughs> there's a lot of that. It's like, what do I call my, what do I actually call myself? Oh, yeah. What do my, my colleagues call me? What is it that I actually am doing? What am I doing? <laughs> yeah. Um, I'll, I'll leave you with one weird little anecdote of that, that sort of classic shiny object syndrome. He's, he's actually an osteopath, but uh, one of my friends, um, they were they were looking at this 12,000 pound shockwave machine. And I was like, oh, cool. All right. Yeah, that, that's quite good for quite a niche um, array of tendinopathies or tendinitis. Yes. Um cool and he said yeah i'm thinking of it'll get more high-end clients in and i was like cool okay um it's quite expensive and i I, at the time i don't think he was earning twelve thousand pounds a year like you know it was it was a real real he was having to get loans and this and that he was like yeah these high-end clients and i said cool and i was like george have you thought about wearing trousers he 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 wears shorts because he works out of a gym and i was like cool if you want to get more high-end trousers uh clients in just wear a pair of chinos that's like 30 quid because I always bag on him for wearing shorts and, and like a tracksuit. Yep. I'm like, mm-hmm. just wear just yep. wear a nice pair of trousers, mate. That that will make you high mm-hmm. end. And he's like, no, no, I've, I've spent twelve thousand pounds on this bit of kit that is probably oh, dustier. Oh, he's, he's trying to justify his purchase. He has he uh, already quite. purchased it. 
yeah. there are so many different ways to um uh, to send the message that you want to send without spending a ton of money. <laughs> yeah. He was like, what do you do? I was like, well, I just rub them and tell them to do some isometric exercises. That's pretty much it. <laughs> they still get better. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, I was like, I just, I just buy a 30 pound pair of chinos and a 30 pound pair of shoes. And I, I look pretty professional at that. I don't need a 12 pound pair of kids. Um, yeah. It's always that, that quick fix though. It's that, what can I buy, which requires no effort on my behalf whether it's sleep, whether it's professionalism, whether it's making that next patient better, whether it's how will I make my next million pounds? It's never yeah. what can I implement, which will take effort over time that will make things better. Yeah. I know, I know so many people who are like, I think CBTI will probably work for me, but um, I don't have the time. I don't want to put the energy into it. Or it, it sounds like it might be hard. And I'm like, okay, you can spend another 10 years on the hamster wheel. Mm. Or you could have a, one consultation and learn that actually it's very adaptable and you don't have to be on that hamster wheel and you don't have to follow the rules that you might've read online that sound really scary. Like, you know, you're only allowed to spend four hours in bed. Kind of <clears throat> it's like, people want the quick fix. They're just so obsessed with the quick fix. Yeah. Yeah. Human nature, unfortunately, we want the, the, the easy berries to pick. Um, yeah, yeah, but very the, meaning, the meaningful stuff comes from the connection and the contact, and that happens through communication. Yeah, that just, every time. Yeah. yeah. I agree. Um, well, hopefully um, uh, we'll, we'll hear back from BSO soon, actually, and we'll be able to go chat to some, some osteo students as well. Because um, the thing is, this, this podcast is a, a podcast brought to you by therapists like we're not we don't advertise much really that we're two chiropractors it just happens that we are um in yeah. fact, we rarely have chiro we, we probably overcompensate against chiropractic because we're so sort <laughs> you of you don't want to appear uh, biased yeah. exactly yeah i think we probably overdo it you like you'd never know um uh but um yeah it'd be nice it'd be nice to head there then we've done the full you know chiro osteo physio um yeah some of the I physio think- anyway yeah yeah. I mean, the BSO is probably a bit more um, kind of aware and cognizant of these sorts of things as compared mm. to say, so I trained at BCom. Um, okay. Yeah. I think that <clears throat> they needed, I mean, this is terrible generalization. It's been, I qualified in 2012, but they could definitely have used some assistance in the evidence-based department. <laughs> gotcha. Um, when it when it comes to that so yeah mm. that's tough um but look, the more we can chat to people we've actually got a, a surprising amount of clinicians that listen to the podcast so hopefully they'll they'll pick up on um <clears throat> on you as well tracy and hopefully that then extends more clinicians recommending you for uh people with um uh, sleep insomnia um mm. which is sort of our hopefully a flex that in, in six months time you say hey guys i keep having people from the podcast that'd be really nice that would, i will let you know Absolutely. And then we'll have to do a number two, a take two. Yeah. Well, yeah, absolutely. When, um, when this is ready, just uh, let me know because I will then be pushing it out um, both on the osteo side and the, and the sleep side too. Fab, thank you so much, Tracy. I think it will be, yeah. uh, it may even be this week, um, but I'll, I'll check with the editors and see how many we've got kind of in the, in the pipeline, if you like. Um, but yeah, of course, I'll, I'll let you know straight away. Yeah. If, if you're able to send me across a, a small bio for me um so that, that i can i can create your intro a little bit later um that would be fab and uh yeah apart from that tracy thank you so much for for being on today you were an absolute yeah. pleasure to talk to you thank you 
Thank you very much. 